Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I'm excited for us to be looking a little bit in Acts. This is a very unique book. So let's go ahead and start. We'll read our passage, and then we'll get into it. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me repeat that last (laughs) verse again. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There is a lot to unpack right here. Uh, So let's uh, go back to, let's read verses 6 through 7. And I'm actually going to jump over to the the CSB, so I hope that doesn't mess anyone up too much. He says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Uh, This was, uh, if you've you know been in a Christian Bible class at all, you know you're going to go over a little bit of what the Jews really expected from their Messiah, uh, from the line of David to sit on David's throne for ever and ever, but, you know, a big part of that is restoring Israel to its glory that it had under David's reign. And so that's what they're all looking forward to. We catch that several times in the Gospels with, um, you know, specifically Jesus's uh, apostles, disciples, misunderstanding what Jesus's purpose there was. And uh, not really listening to and understanding um, the the spiritual depth, significance, uh, relation to Old Testament passages that they should have, because Jesus was doing that the whole time. He was giving them plenty of context, you know, plenty of evidence to show, hey, this is my purpose. It is not what you think it is. My will is in line with the Father's, and the Father's will is not to restore Israel to to an earthly glory. And so it's funny that they struggle with that all through the the Gospels. And then you think, okay, you know, we're in Holy Week right now too, so, you know, hopefully your mind's been there the past couple of days, but everything that Jesus has, has gone through, um, the signs that he uh, spoke of, you know, in the temple, all, all these different places— and then finally comes the crucifixion, and then comes the resurrection. You you know, man, but nothing seems to have clicked. We're here at the beginning of, of Acts where Jesus has already resurrected, and they're still asking the same question. Um, it, it just hasn't clicked yet. 
And we're going to see there's there's a big change in that. Once the Holy Spirit comes upon them, you know, that they finally get that understanding and they're able to teach and to preach in a way that is in line and consistent with what Jesus did as well. So that's a a big thing to consider is the Holy Spirit's overall work in the message that the apostles end up delivering because it's not consistent with the way that they interacted with Jesus and the questions they asked him. Uh, that all come all comes from the Holy Spirit. So they're asking about the restoration of Israel. Jesus responds with something that he responded in a way that he responded again multiple times in the Gospels, specifically in John, where pretty much he's going to say, no one knows what the Father has said. Here, it's a little different. He says, uh, it's not for you to know what the Father has said. So it's almost like, okay, at this point, at Jesus' resurrection, uh, maybe certain things have been revealed to him. Maybe he does know a, a, a time frame uh, because it is pointed back to the um, apostles who are asking these questions versus saying, you know, only the Father knows his will, that sort of thing, like he, like he says back in the book of John. So a bit different response, but um, content is somewhat the same. He goes on to add in verse 8, and verse 8 really is the verse of the book of Acts. It, um, you know, several of our books within the Bible do this, where they will kind of hint towards the contents of the whole book within just the first few verses. Proverbs does that. Psalms does that. Several of the prophets do that. Acts is doing that here with verse 8. In verse 8, you get the whole storyline of the book of Acts. Verse 8 again is, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, that's our three-point layout of the book of Acts. There's the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the apostles being witnesses in Jerusalem, and then it moves outward towards all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's where the book of Acts kind of leaves us, hinting towards, okay, Paul's going to be going to, uh, most likely going to be going to Rome, which is, you know, the epicenter of the world. And so really he has reached the ends of the earth at that point. So really cool that verse 8 is unpacking all of that. Um, so we have uh, an important word in verse 8 also is, is witnesses. Uh, witnesses is martus in the Greek language, and it's where we then develop the word martyr. Someone, uh, I guess our definition would be someone who um, you know, dies for their faith. Um, maybe a slightly more accurate definition would be one who provides personal personal testimony or verification. So in that sense, uh, every Christian should be a martyr. Every Christian is supposed to be giving personal testimony, personal witnessing to what Christ is doing in their life. Sadly, we're really bad at that. Probably because we're not really good at just recognizing what Jesus is doing for us on a daily basis, verbalizing that either to ourselves or to someone else uh, that's close to us, you know, in an intimate, personal way. And because we don't do that with ourselves or our close company, naturally that doesn't come out in our interactions with people in the world. 
So if we want something to change like that, if we want to be better at being witnesses, giving personal testimony to, to those who need to hear and, and know Jesus, we need to first be doing it to ourselves. The number one thing that, that we should all be striving towards is recognizing God working, not attributing it to something else, to, to good fortune, to nature, to my own efforts. It all comes from Christ. All good things come from the Father of lights. All things are held together and sustained by Christ. There's nothing that happens, continues to happen, or will happen that does not happen through the power of Christ. So when you first kind of wrap your head around that and recognize what Christ is doing, uh, witnessing, testifying about what Christ does in your life becomes a lot easier. It's so much easier to bring him into daily conversation. You know, People are going to think you're weird. People are going to probably make fun of you. Uh, that's, you know, un, uh, unavoidable, really. Uh, you will be ostracized. You will be seen as the, the person who can't have a conversation without Jesus being drawn into it. And uh, you kind of just have to be okay with it. You have to uh, realize that that's part of your martyrdom. You're witnessing your life as a witness is that you're willing to do that. It's really important too that the way he lays this out, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you know, his scope of vision is is widening in that statement. And that, again, should come back to us. Um, There's a really good book called The Art of Neighboring. There's probably a lot of good books like this out there. But the art of neighboring is a really good concept. Pretty much just goes through the idea of us first witnessing to our neighbors before anybody else. You know, it's it's great to be a part of foreign missions or in-state missions or, you know, working in your community. Those are all great things. But how many of us are just starting with our neighbors? Um, I'm in a really fortunate position where three of my four immediate neighbors are moving. I'm getting new neighbors. Um, and so it's it's something that I, sh- I sh- need to be aware of, should be aware of. That hey, I've got new people coming into my, uh, into my reach. People that I can speak to and hopefully uh, impact. And so I need to have that as my, as my focus. Those neighbors need to be in my crosshairs. Um, so I think that's a really good way to look at it and, and maybe a direct application to this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria kind of um, line that Jesus gives his apostles of, of where their focus needs to be. And that is, again, brought out in the book of Acts. They start in Jerusalem. They're there on Pentecost. They move into Judea, move into Samaria. And, and it's, it's really interesting how uh, Luke lays this book out. Uh, verses 9 through 11 focus on the ascension and don't forget that Luke has already written on this. That's how his book ends, his gospel ends. The difference is that there's one verse. There's no dialogue like this. Um, and, he, and he writes both. So you can see that he purposefully kept it brief in, in, in his gospel. And then when he gets into his um, continuation of his gospel, because this is definitely part of his gospel message as well, uh, that he expands it for us. And we're fortunate that we get that. One thing that's got to be pointed out that is oddly enough not, um, it's not common doctrine for many Christians nowadays, and I think it's something we need to be 
always emphasizing because there's so much beauty behind it. And when you have a firm foundation in the bodily resurrection and ascension of Jesus, it changes your views a lot on what the future holds uh, for Christians. So Jesus ascends. You know, it's, it's like a balloon going up in the sky further, further, further away until they're just there looking in the sky. And God allows two men in white robes to be standing amongst them. We don't get the the word angels here. It's not uh, the word Luke chooses to use. So we could see these as men sent by God. Um, And and why not? But there is, you know, there is some credence that should be given to the idea that God uses people um, at many times in many different ways, just, just humans as his mouthpiece. Um, we want that. We expect that from our teachers and preachers. Um, I think God can use anybody for that, not just uh, paid ministers on staff and, and, and things like that. So that's always interesting when, when Luke or any gospel writer, any bi- biblical writer in narrative form, um, this goes for Old Testament too, doesn't use the word angel, but just chooses to use the word man. What is, what's trying to be communicated there? So these two men speak to the disciples that are gathered as they watch Jesus ascend. And he says, you know, the way that you just saw Jesus leave is the way he's going to come back. And, and this is Paul's big message in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what the resurrection is going to look like. It, it's Jesus' body. And it's not that that is a physical body. It is a spiritual body. But we, for some reason, say that spiritual bodies don't have a physical component and clearly that's not what scripture teaches the fact that jesus is able to eat a meal after his resurrection the fact that the apostles are able to touch him and speak with him the fact that he has to in in walk through a locked door in order to get to the disciples after his resurrection all of those things point to i mean they're trying to say hey he was in a real physical body it was just able to do things that no other physical body can do. When the spiritual and physical finally come together, it's a whole new world. It's something we can't imagine. And so that's kind of the beauty that we get here in this verse and in, in what Christian doctrine for the past 2,000 years has been built on when it comes to the bodily resurrection of believers. Jesus is the first fruits of that resurrection. And so when we read these verses, that's what we have hope in. That's what we look forward to. We're not some disembodied you know, goobly gawk that just is is this big orb floating nothing. It's it's not that. It's a physical body. Christ showed us what that's going to look like, and that's something that we can get excited about. Uh, it is imperishable. It's incorruptible, um, and Jesus leads the way. And so I'm excited to follow with Him in that on Resurrection Day. This is Holy Week. I hope you are spending it doing holy things, um, thinking about the way you're living your life, thinking about the way you're reaching out to those who need Jesus. Um, so just stay focused in that. Uh, this, this upcoming Sunday is, is Resurrection Day, is, is Ascension Day, is <laughs> all of that's fomenting, all of that's coming up this weekend. So I really encourage you to do some, to, to practice some things that are going to bring about some 
um, spiritual focus, and maybe some, some maturity will happen along the way. I really encourage you to fast and to pray. Do spiritual things. Uh, find God. Speak to Him. Let Him speak to you. Uh, but I always hope that you're looking for ways to, to love and serve your neighbors in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.